Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Mullen Group Limited second quarter earnings conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and 0. I would now like to turn the conference over to Murray K. Mullen, Chairman, CEO, and President. Please go ahead. Thank you, and uh, welcome to our quarterly conference call. All uh, We'll be discussing our second quarter financial results, our operating performance, and that will be followed by a review of what investors and, and shareholders can probably expect in the second half of uh, 2021 uh, from our company. And of course, we'll close the call with a Q&A session, so I'd encourage all interested participants to ask follow-up questions. So before I commence today's review, I remind everyone that our presentation contains forward-looking statements that are based on current expectations and are subject to a number of uncertainties and risks, and actual results may differ materially. Further information in identifying the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions can be found in the disclosure documents which are filed on CDAR and at www.mullen-group.com. So with me this morning on the line, um, we're uh, we're calling in from all over. I'm actually touring facilities of some of the new acquisitions we do, uh, we've done. Uh, and Stefan is on call. And Richard, Stefan Clark, our CFO, Richard Maloney, Joanna Scott, and Carson Erlecker are calling in from corporate office. So uh, that's who we have on the call with us this morning. So let's start today's call with an overview of the highlights and accomplishments that uh, that uh, we achieved last quarter. And I think the first thing I'm going to highlight is that. Uh, acquisitions has to be the first highlight. So for some time, I've been challenged, yeah, perhaps rightly so, as to why we were holding so much cash on the balance sheet and had not actively pursued acquisitions. Well, the truth is, we are always looking at acquisitions. But in saying this, our long-term shareholders know we do not chase growth. We identify strategic fits and opportunities, knowing full well that this is the only way to create real shareholder value. So this quarter... Everything just seemed to come together at the same time, meaning that our corporate office team, uh, including those that I talked about earlier, was off the chart busy. So negotiating and finalizing five five transactions in a quarter is both a highlight and I would say is an accomplishment. So why five? Well, because these are good companies and they're all aligned with our strategic thinking. Now, we may have deployed a significant amount of our capital. I'd say around $185 million, in fact, with this aggressive acquisition spree. However, we did so without putting the balance sheet at risk. Never have, never will. In fact, our overall debt ratios are well within our comfort zone at around approximately two and a half to one. Um, the win from all of these transactions is that our shareholders are going to see many, many quarters, maybe years of solid growth, commencing in Q3 of 2021, where the full benefit of all the transactions will be realized. Now, in one year, we've completed seven acquisitions. We've added close to 400 million in new revenues. 
Now, this is not transitory. This is transformational. So our go-forward annualized revenues are now going to approach $1.6 billion and puts us much closer to reaching our goal of annual revenues of $2 billion years ahead of plan. Second highlight uh, that I've got to talk about, and I'm sick of talking about it, but it's COVID-19. It remained a headline news, and perhaps this will be the last quarter we have to qualify our results with a health services disclaimer. COVID obviously will not disappear. However, the vaccination plan is working to contain much of the spread and harm. So countries that have high vaccination rates are in recovery mode, which is fantastic news on many levels. Canada now appears to have joined this exclusive club. Number three, the consumer, through all everything we've talked about, reigns supreme. The evidence is compelling and it's widespread. Now, yes, COVID-19 has impacted all of our lives. It's a nightmare, it's a disaster from a healthcare perspective, but nothing seems to stop the insatiable appetite of the consumer. Um, so even though in-store visit, the in-store's uh, visit has been disrupted, the ease with which consumers can buy online has transformed the shopping experience and e-commerce has revolutionized how consumers spend. But this is also, I must tell you, has changed the supply chain dramatically. So today, consumer goods are shipped direct to the home from warehouses or fulfillment centers. It's uh, usually in packages and boxes, um, which means the cardboard industry, as I've talked about before, is booming. Uh, but the trees are crying out in distress. So we'll see more deliveries, I suspect, smaller packages, and lots of boxes that all need recycling. So to us, the consumer, this is now the safest, most convenient, and cheapest way to shop. Besides, if you don't like it, you send it back. And this emerging trend has not has not necessarily changed the truckload uh, industry. It has, however, kept freight demand, especially the van and container shipment industry, strong. So where the change has really occurred is that final mile component of the, of the delivery process. And as I mentioned, more and smaller packages delivered to the home as compared to pallets delivered to the storefront. So in essence, a significant amount of consumer freight had to be diverted from the retail malls to warehouses. And this trend is the primary reason our LTL, our first and final mile business, is outperforming. In fact, I can tell you I'm touring facilities and our warehouses are packed. I can tell you firsthand on that. Number four highlight trend that we've seen is freight demand for virtually everything appears to have hit the highest levels in several quarters, with June being the strongest, which corresponds nicely to a relaxation in government mandates and fewer business closures. So we saw a resurgence in customer activity, along with a more positive tone, indicating that business is beginning to restart the inventory and planning cycle. Now, this was and will be great news for our logistics, trucking, and our warehousing business units. Number five highlight has got to be commodity prices. They've started to influence, finally, producers' investment and spending decisions, and we saw that start to emerge in the second quarter. So oil and gas drilling, that natural gas drilling activity in Western Canada was up significantly over the same period of last year, but i got to qualify that with how could it not? Last year was a disaster. Uh, we have not seen a recovery to pre-pandemic levels, but I can tell you the tone is very encouraging. Now, offsetting all of these positives, we had two two numbers, uh, two things that influenced our results. Let me call them challenges that influenced our second quarter performance. So last year, we recall, our pre-made pipeline group had a fantastic second quarter. 
uh, as we expected, given the order backlog and given what we expected from the orders of pipe that were coming in for these two major projects, particularly, which is uh, the uh, Trans Mountain Crude Oil Pipeline and the Coastal Gas uh, Project in Kitimat. Unfortunately for this year, as we start taking that pipe from stockpile location into stringing, we had a couple things that impacted all of that business. And that is firstly COVID-19 restrictions on workplace and work camp activity, but then because of environmental concerns, specifically related to hummingbird nesting. I'm not kidding. The projects were shut down first and foremost because of COVID and then because of federal law that protects hummingbird nesting. So as a result, both projects were put on hold during the second quarter and that would that really impacted our quarter over quarter results, including our revenues in the second quarter by 12.6 million year over year. And even though this was a negative last quarter, I would tell you the projects are not canceled. They just been pushed out. So we expect pre-made pipeline to be back on the job this summer uh, and uh, and pick those pick up the pace on that. It might be pushed out some of it into 2022. The second issue relates to queues. Now that's that government funded program that gave money to virtually every business negatively impacted by COVID-19. This quarter, we received less government support payments as business activity returned closer to pre-pandemic levels. In fact, total queues in the quarter were 6.4 million versus 10.9 million last year during the same period. Now the good news is businesses were nearing full recovery and as such, we will not qualify for future queues funding. But here I think is the real story on queues. Mullen Group, we never needed the funding because we were well capitalized going into March of last year. Many of our competitors, however, relied on these funds to stay afloat. So the federal government distributed billions and billions of dollars to keep the majority of Canadian companies, including many in the trucking industry, from failure. I'm left to surmise that there are no free markets in Canada, just fair markets. But it is what it is, uh, and we haven't necessarily gained market share yet, but I can tell you that we've used these funds to invest in new assets, uh, which positions our business units nicely for future growth, and I say this with a high degree of confidence that we will eventually gain market share. All in all, folks, uh, a very busy quarter, a very positive quarter. And with all the details, I will now turn the call over to Stefan Clark. Steph? <clears throat> Thank you, Murray, and uh, good morning, fellow shareholders. I'll get a little more granular. However, our interim report contains the details that fully explains our performance. As such, I will only provide some highlights and high-level commentary. Year-over-year -year revenue increased by $55 million to $312.5 million, including $34.6 million of acquisition revenue and $8.6 million increase in fuel surcharge revenue on a same-store basis. Excluding the effect of acquisitions and fuel surcharge fluctuations, revenue include, uh, increased by $11.8 million, or 4.8%, largely due to the strength of the LTL and our logistics and warehousing segments, uh, being offset by the weakness in our specialized and industrial segment. Of course, in many respects, a comparison to the second quarter of 2020, when the North American economy experienced a sudden and sharp decline in economic activity due to the initial onset of COVID-19, is somewhat out of context. During the second quarter of 2020, revenue in the LTL the logistics and warehousing and specialized and industrial services segments declined by 9.3, 18.9, and 30% respectively. So perhaps a comparison on a sequential basis is better. 
Well, those are also somewhat out of context due to the number of acquisitions we did. On a sequential basis, consolidated revenue increased by $22 million from $290.5 million achieved in Q1-21 due to the acquisitions being partially offset by the slowdown in pipeline activity. So what has changed from a year ago? A lot. What has changed since the last quarter? Even more. For those keeping track, our news releases set out an estimated revenue for each acquisition, and that series of news releases added up to $355 million of annualized revenue. Our second quarter MD&A speaks to $400 million of annualized revenue being added. It appears our timing couldn't have been better, and we have revised our estimates upwards from what our acquisitions did in the past 12 months prior to closing to what we now expect going forward. Case in point, Banstra. In the news release, we estimated that they would add $65 million of revenue on an annualized basis. Lo and behold, they added about $21 million of additional revenue for their first two and a half months being under our umbrella. We acquired them mid-April, and then you would see that additive to the logistics and warehousing segment. Annualize that trend, a trend that is up both to the end of the COVID restrictions and to a, uh, and, and you get a much higher number than we first announced. So not 65, but maybe on trend for 80 to 90 million dollars. Um, perhaps we are all getting a bit more bullish now that COVID is behind us, but that is our current estimates. And Murray spoke to it earlier, being more of a 400 million dollar number rather than the 355. Now, getting a bit more granular, revenue in the consumer-driven less-than-truckload segment rose by $24.8 million, or 24.3%, to $126.7 million as compared to $101.9 million in 2020, in part due to the acquisition of uh, Pacific Coast Express. However, adjusting for this acquisition and the fluctuation of fuel surcharge revenue, which is generally a flow-through, revenue grew by 12.8% due to the strength of consumer spending and market share gains. Aided by the acquisition of Banstra and other acquisitions as well, um, the logistics and warehousing segment rose by 45.7% year over year to 120.6 million as compared to 82.8 million in 2020. Adjusted for fuel surcharge fluctuation and acquisition revenue of 25 million, this segment grew by 13.1% year over year. Comparatively, this segment experienced an 18.9% decline in revenue in the second quarter of 2020. So as I spoke to earlier, we've got to be careful on the comparatives, but nonetheless, the trend is certainly very constructive, and as Murray had said, June was much the differentiator and getting much stronger as the quarter progressed. On a sequential basis, excluding the Banster and TriPoint acquisitions, revenue in this segment grew by approximately 8%. I would say that's pretty good. In the specialized and industrial services segment, revenue declined by 7.1 million or 9.7% to 66.4 million as compared to 73.5 million in 2020. COVID still lingered and restricted many close contact construction jobs. These restrictions negatively affected not only pre-made pipeline, but smoke and Canadian dewatering as well. Thankfully, a surge in oil and gas prices created more demand for our other specialized services. As for profitability, operating income before depreciation and amortization, commonly referred to as EBITDA, was $59 million, or 18.9% of revenue, as compared to $55 million, or 21.4% in 2020. 
Of course, that was a bit higher because of Q's. Um, and for the period, as Murray mentioned earlier, Q's accounted for $6.4 million of subsidy versus $10.9 million, a decrease of $4.5 million year over year. So excluding Q's, EBITDA increased by $8.5 million to $52.6 million for an operating margin of 16.8%, fairly consistent with the 17.1% of operating margin achieved in 2020. The majority of the $8.5 million increase was due to the $7.9 million of incremental EBITDA generated by our acquisitions. So a little bit of a change there, but largely the margin was the same, just down a little bit, and that was really because of the revenue mix and the loss of some higher margin pre-made pipeline work. So looking at other notable items, net cash from operating activities for the period was a healthy $55.8 million. However, our cash balance changed materially uh, in the quarter and after the quarter due to the series of acquisitions we made during the quarter. We are now borrowing about $70 million on our demand facility. It's been a long time since I've said that. However, our leverage ratio, calculated under a private placement agreement, was 2.54 to 1, without giving consideration to earnings from our newly acquired businesses. If you included those earnings, and they're under a different framework and management, but our leverage ratio would be closer to 2 or 2.2 times rather than 2.5 times. So again, we feel very comfortable with the level of debt that we have. Um, lastly, a quick word on ESG. I wouldn't only talk about profits and, and such and cash generation, um, because profits and cash generation are good, but not if they come at the expense of our worker safety or in the environment. Our second quarter safety results continue to improve. I recently read a competitor's ESG report where they stated they endorsed the United Nations Sustainability Goals and goal 3.6 was to reduce vehicle accidents by half or an effort to reduce the road accident fatality rate to 9.1 deaths per billion kilometers traveled versus the current 18.2 deaths per billion, dollars at billion kilometers traveled. We know to achieve this goal we need better medicine, roads, auto design, but most importantly, um, as I know from my many years on City Council, a safety culture and supportive attitude is most important. Here at Mullen, we don't speak about United Nations sustainability goals. We may not virtue signal, but we do have the right safety culture. In fact, if we accepted the United Nations benchmark, we would be killing a, quarter, a, a worker each and every quarter. Totally unacceptable. We don't accept that. We exited the quarter with a lost time claims ratio that improved to 0.68, and our total recordable injury rate was 2.47, world-class stats. The competitor I speak of, their total injury frequency rate was 6.9 last year. So compare that to our 2.47. They also had 24,120 collisions per billion kilometers traveled, whereas we had about 4,000 uh, collisions for every billion kilometers traveled. In short, actions speak louder than words, and our commitment to safety will never be compromised by profit, nor will we accept anything but world-class safety results. Our ESG score may be uh, lower than our competitors, but clearly our safety culture and results are better. And on the GHG front, Murray was talking very much about the evolution of packaging and how we're doing residential deliveries 
And for us, that means we are now investing in hybrid sprinter vans instead of diesel. And we've continued to make those investments through the first half of the year. And in fact, we've purchased our first all-electric shunk truck uh, for our yards. And we are trialing our first hydrogen truck this summer. So uh, in my mind, that's good governance and good uh, stewards of uh, not only the environment, but uh, as I say, promoting a great safety culture. So with that, Murray, I'll pass the conference back to you. Thanks. Thanks, Steph. So uh, as we wrap up the call this morning, let me give you a little bit of an outlook. Uh, the second quarter is behind us. Uh, so what's our plans, initiatives, maybe some thought about expectations and clearly the trends that I see for the near future? So as I was thinking about this and trying to describe our plans for the next while, I came up with, with this. We're going to tighten up and, and do tuck-ins. So that's kind of the general theme that I think that we'll be uh, focused on in the last half of the year. Tighten up and do tuck-ins. So what will be the what will we be working on and, and concentrating on? Well, first and foremost, as I just mentioned, we're going to dedicate a significant amount of time and resources uh, as we integrate the last five acquisitions into our organization. Uh, pleased to report uh, out touring facilities, engaging with the people and and collaborating with uh, putting the teams together and how we can find those those synergies that everyone talks about uh, with acquisition. And we all know that it's the synergies that will drive shareholder value. Now, since I'm on the topic of acquisitions, let me address this issue now. We have been very active. Uh, obviously, we think we bought all good companies. However, as I view the landscape and the markets in general, uh, the most likely outcome is that we will cons only continue to consider tuck-in opportunities, but refrain from reaching for any additional platform companies. The markets just don't appear to be rewarding aggressive acquisition growth, so we'll just pivot into what I call harvest mode. Uh, the exception is going to be if we find a suitable bolt-on target for our newest venture, Quad Express, which is soon to be rebranded, uh, and that's just in uh, in being... Uh, certified right now and we'll talk more about that as it that comes up but we'll be rebranding quad express uh this quarter but quad express puts us squarely into the very large us 3pl market uh which really expands uh, the opportunities for us on a go forward basis the second trend that i see relates to the economy and the markets research now on this issue i i'll be honest with you i don't know if i could be more confident uh Clear that there's concerns, but uh, generally speaking, I'm quite positive, believing that the freight demand and economic activity will be robust. Uh, we know, for example, the monetary policy remains accommodative. Uh, it's providing ample liquidity and fuel to keep the fire going. And of course, governments love spending and giving money away. So you have to love this new economic theory that's being advocated, which essentially saying that doesn't uh, debt doesn't matter. So let the good times roll until it stops, of course. The third macro trend that everyone is now aware of is that the supply chain remains tight. Um, maybe borderline, I don't know if chaotic's the right word, but it certainly is under strain. It's driven by a combination of strong consumer demand and supply chain disruptions. So there's currently a reduction in manufacturing capacities. It's due to workplace issues, additional sickness, new safety protocols, everything, uh, things have slowed down. And as a result, bottlenecks are now occurring regularly. And that's placing tremendous strain on that age-old concept of just-in-time management. In fact, I personally believe, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, that I believe business must be prepared 
to pivot towards just-in-case inventory management, and this implies higher costs, forward planning, and lots of warehousing. So I'm happy to report we have lots of warehousing capacity in our portfolio of business units, although I would say it's getting pretty full. Um, difficult to see how we can add a whole bunch more uh, when, you, when, when we're pretty full. So, um, so that's the good news there. Finally, let's never for, let's not forget about technology. It remains a dominant theme. We 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 will continue to invest in our business to remain make sure we invest best in class, market leaders. We'll search for new and creative ways to meet society's changing narratives. Uh, Steph talked a little bit about electrification of our fleet. It's a given, and to this end, uh, we're all pleased to report we'll be ordering new units, especially for the short haul and in city service units with battery-powered capabilities. So in summary, it is reasonable to expect some very solid results from our company through the balance of the year. Acquisitions are going to supercharge our revenue growth relative to last year, folks. That's that's why we did them. Uh, the consumer portion of the economy is on solid footing. E-commerce and direct-to-consumer drive continue to drive demand. Our less-than-truckload and logistics and warehousing segments both will benefit from the strong economy. Uh, robust consumer demand, and changes in the supply chain. So there's growing optimism even in the oil and natural gas service sector. So all in all, I have a pretty uh, positive outlook of the of the segments that we serve. Now, of course, we must be mindful that trouble could be brewing, especially as it relates to, let's call it, inflationary pressures. Uh, I'd also say the labor shortage, which is either real or perceived, I uh, don't know which one you want to call it, but I will tell you, finding quality people all of a sudden is a real challenge. And uh, then, of course, we've got supply chain bottlenecks. So that's going to put uh, a cap on how much new business companies can take in. Uh, all of these in trends that I talk about, our business units are all informed about them, and we're going to manage our business according accordingly. So... Uh, I think that uh, to the extent that you can't get people, that there's lots of freight, um, I think what you're going to see is uh, inflation is really uh, on the cusp of, uh, of hitting, hitting home to uh, a lot of businesses. Now, lastly, and I'll remind our shareholders and listeners of my prediction for 2021. I said we'd be slow out of the gate and with a strong, strong finish. So we're on target, not just to meet our 2021 goals, but to exceed them. And we'll continue to repurchase our own stock from the free cash flow our business generates, as long as the investment community underappreciates the true value of one of Canada's largest logistics companies. So with this backdrop, I'll now turn the call over to the operator, and we'll go directly to the Q&A session. Operator, it's over to you. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then 1 on your telephone keypad. You'll hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then 2. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Our first question comes from David Ocampo of Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Good morning. Good morning, David. Uh, my first question is on the, the U.S. logistics business. And you guys mentioned in your remarks that you could potentially do a bolt-on uh, transaction to, to continue to build out that platform. But is this something that you could also do organically? Um, when I look at one of your competitors in Canada, they're, they're building out their brokerage business and, uh, basically all up from organics. But is, is that a, a logical solution or, or is it not possible with the technology that you guys have? Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, clearly you want to grow organically if you can. And I think that's the big thing that, that we see in this platform. They have a, they have a really nice technology platform called Silver Express. And we think that's the enabler. Technology along with this, with logistics is what becomes scalable. So we should be able to grow internally. Um, now we've got to, David, the first part is we've got to get the integration done and uh, and we've got to get this uh, the, the uh, transition agreement done and all those kind of things. So next quarter will be a little choppy for us because we've got to get that all uh, migrated over into our, our new name and, and those kind of things. But uh, uh, I see plenty of opportunity from both sides. I see it from leveraging off of that technology platform that they've got that obviously is a good technology platform because they're doing a fair amount of business and they've got a lot of customers using it. So uh, they've already got some stickiness there. And then what we're going to do is we're just going to put that technology platform on steroids. We're going to invest in it like crazy uh, because we see that as the key to, uh, to uh, future growth along the way. I think you can also look at, uh, at some, some acquisitions that might fit in. I got to, I'm really impressed with the senior team that we got down there. They can, they they can grow this thing. They know what they're doing, and uh, with us uh, wanting to invest in this business and and build it out, I think there's some good opportunities on both fronts. So, 3PL that's the business we like. It's one of the key strategies that we talk about. Uh, we like 3PL, uh, 3PL, but I would tell you it's 3PL with technology. Otherwise, it's just freight brokerage, and I'm not interested in freight brokerage. We're interested in in the value add, which is 3PL with, with technology platform. You know we love LTL uh, because that's the consumer and logistics and warehousing um, is uh, a key part of the, of the supply chain. So uh, this is a new market for us and a new opportunity. I like the management team, like the technology. Uh, so I'm pretty optimistic about that, uh, where we can take that in the future. Another new growth platform for our company for sure. I know it's only been a few weeks since you've had quad under your belt, but do you guys have a, a finer point on the margin profile, especially with it becoming its own division next quarter? Um, it, no, you've got to be careful on that side because you're talking, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just the spread you got to look at. And uh, so we're, we, we haven't narrowed it down yet because we're just in, in the middle, middle of that. But um, typically, you know, kind of 3PL, you're talking 
10% gross margin, something like that, you know, and then you got to, you got to take off from there. So I, I think you're looking at kind of 5% margins, but that on a return on capital is pretty significant. So, and then on a net basis, that it's not 5%. The, the net being the spread between what the revenue is and what you pay the subcontractor, uh, the net spread is going to be is the thing that we look at, and it's pretty attractive. I think the other thing about this, David, is I'm not really worried about margins in the short term because I'll be honest with you, we're building out the technology and we're building out a platform here uh, that's going to be a marketplace. Uh, this is this is just another add-on to our uh, the investments that we've made in our moving online platform and holistic, and, and I just see a, a great opportunity to um you know to build this out down south because the reason is they have they have the loads and the loads is what attracts the carriers and uh so we think uh that's where we're going to go on this it's a it's uh we're planning for the future with this one so i'm not going to get too stressed out about what the margin is on this because i'm i'm only worried about building out the platform and getting more and more content after I get the content, yeah. then we can then we can monetize for sure. And the content in 3PL is loads. Loads is we got to get the shippers on. That's why I really liked Silver Express because it has a shipper centric focus. No, and we'll report it. We'll we'll report it all separately so that it's uh, you know it's totally visible to everybody. Uh, but this will be: can we add new agents? Can we add new business? Uh, and, uh, you know, are we getting more carriers on the platform? Yeah, that's helpful. Then maybe switching gears uh, for my last question here. You know, with, with rate plating season coming up in the next few months, I was just curious if you've had any initial discussions with, with any of the shippers about a potential rate increase in Canada, especially since the market has been, you know, largely flat over the last year. And you compare that to the U.S., which seems to be doing quite well uh, with them having reopened a lot sooner than us. Yeah, I, we're, we're in early stages of that. Uh, Dave, I can tell you uh, we've we've started that just recently. Uh, it, if, if this market keeps going the way it's going, uh, rate increases are uh, nearly a given. Uh, and when I said that they're with certain trends that I saw, demand staying strong, supply chain tight, and it's really difficult. You know, it's really going to be really difficult to get more drivers, to get more workers for all of us. And um, there's lots of Canadians, hardworking Canadians that are working now, but um, I don't know if there's a whole bunch more. There's lots of people available, but uh, increasingly, what we hear from that new from that labor force that hasn't been working for a bit is. Well, you know, uh, not sure what's my time up. Hey, we we can't run a business on that. So uh, I suspect if freight demand is going to stay as strong as it is, uh, that uh, pricing is inevitable. And uh, that will be the storyline for the next bit. We'll catch up to what the U.S. is doing. It just We're just going to be a little bit behind the U.S., I suspect. And I, and I guess a quick follow-up to that. If you do see rate increases, would that be would that lead to margin expansion? Would it would it offset all the inflated operating costs that you guys are seeing with higher driver pay? Uh, it's there's definitely you're going to have to raise. 
uh, raise rates because you're going to have to protect your workforce. Uh, we're seeing higher fuel prices. We're seeing higher uh, costs across the board, maintenance costs, uh, tires, uh, equipment, parts, everything. So there's, a, there's a inflationary pressures. Uh, but we're not going to do it to stay even. I would expect that when we get pricing leverage that, that we'll get some margin expansion. That's what we're going to be focused on. That's what I'm telling people. I, if I can't hire more people uh, to all of our business lines, if you can't hire good people, uh, take the freight that pays more money and put your good people on that, and that should lead to margin expansion, and we can pay our people more. That's great. I'll hand the call over. Thank you. Our next question comes from Conart Gupta of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Good morning, and uh, thanks for taking my questions. Um, Good morning. So, morning. Uh, maybe I can start with Marie uh, and Stefan. Um, I, I don't. I don't think I heard on the call. Uh, what's your new uh, 2021 revenue and EBITDA targets are with all these acquisitions and can you also help us understand, um, you, you, you mentioned the analyzed revenue run rate is now 1.6. So what seems to be a good margin for that or good uh, EBITDA proxy for, for that run rate? Thanks. Yeah, uh, Steph, I don't think we put in a number that said what 2021 was going to be. Uh, I, I think what I said, Conark, is that we're going to be a heck of a lot above the 1.2 that we had originally had put out as our plan. I said that was our goal. Uh, and then I said the annualized is now about 1.6. So uh, I think you can do the math. So, okay, if we, if we got all these acquisitions for six months, uh, it'll be a hybrid of in between that is what, what I would suggest. Margin is, I expect it's going to hold about uh, flat uh, until we start seeing some price of leverage. And I, I, as I just spoke with David about, I, I think margin in the pricing leverage is coming in the Canadian marketplace, and that will be uh, somewhat accretive to to, uh, to margins. I don't know particularly how it's going to do. Uh, the worst case is we're going to stay the same with margin. The best is we have margin improvement. But it's a little early to predict when we get that because you gotta you got to let the you got to let the market catch up to itself. You can't, if, if, if you move too early, you're going to run into trouble. The thing we are seeing, Clark, is, is the customers really have nowhere else to go because um, everybody's maxed out right now. You, you can't put more freight on our dock, as an example. So uh, now I'm just working with the business units to say, okay, what freight goes on our dock? So... Um, that's what we'll be working on with our business humans over this over this last half of the year, which is what I said I'd do. And if, if I'm right, then maybe margin improvement goes up. That's that would be the goal. But I don't have that's a specific number for you, Ed. I think that's a, you know, I, it, it's I'd be a little too presumption with this, but I I suspect we'll do. I think we'll do just fine. No, I understand. That, that, that's good color. Thank you, Marie. Um, then you, you mentioned, I think, in the MBA as well on the call, uh, June seemed to be a pretty uh, good month or solid month all across the business lines virtually. Um, j just wanted to kind of get more context behind that. So well, what was your normal June like pre-COVID and what was it this year? And then um, is it 
is it like a good proxy for for revenue run rate organically and then i can add maybe the apps and uh, the other two acquisitions quad harris for, for july i guess uh, or was there something kind of one-off in june like you know you were catching up on some backlog or something that that benefited a lot steph i think uh that's a that's the granular question <laughs> and i defer over to you that you're so good at but does it not appear that June, I think we were back June, uh, same store sales, let's call it that. I think June was actually uh, even a little bit above June of 19, if I'm not mistaken. I'll, I'll... Yeah, it was essentially flat, but it depends on what segment you're, you were looking at. The oil services segment, or what we used to call oil field services segment, now is the S&I segment, was still below 19 um, as the rig count is still below the five-year average or historical trends, despite the fact that oil's you know quite healthy and more importantly natural gas prices are uh, you know very healthy. If you go back to 2019, uh, you were about 250. Now you're about four bucks. So we're starting to see that trend change, but it hasn't quite translated. I think our customers are still rebuilding balance sheets. When you look at the uh, LTL market, clearly the consumer has improved since 2019, and it's clearly above trend. And everything what we do for apps and, and Pacific Coast is additive to those uh, historic trends. The logistics and warehouse segment, if we look at it on a historic basis, it's still down. Uh, and I spoke to you know earlier uh, L and W being down about 18, 19 percent last year from 2019, and then. Uh, rebounding about 13% X acquisition. So it's one where it's still uh, down a little bit. The Canadian economy lags a little bit behind the U.S., which appears to be more on fire than it's probably the way to describe it. So it's a little bit to get granular. Uh, you know, it's it's a little bit different in every segment, but we certainly see the trend for June, again, still coming uh, much, much stronger. And that shouldn't come as a surprise as the supply chain is beginning to repair. Certainly consumer demand is there and the government, uh, you know, is propping up, whether it's in the States with their trillion dollars of, of stimulus or in Canada where we still are running, uh, you know, $100 you know, billion dollar deficits that are estimated for 20, the fisc next fiscal year. So it's after coming off, a, you know, I don't know, $300 billion deficit. So deficit financing, governments are still uh, playing a role, the consumer is still spending, the economy is repairing itself. And in fact, uh, I'm sure you follow the GDT, GDP stats just like I do. You know, it's back to pre-COVID levels. So we're back to December of 2019 levels in April of 2021. It took us a long time to get back to where we were. And of course, there's a few more Canadians. Our population has grown. So we're still a ways and run room to go and there's still some slack in the economy and uh, you know about eight percent unemployment so there's still room to run but it's certainly for us we saw a lot of improvement in june we saw a lot of the covid restrictions come off and uh, for the most part it's still that uh, specialized industrial services segment that's lagging for the most part uh, ltl is well above and uh, logistics and warehouse is still almost down par but still a little bit behind pre-covid levels that that's great color, Japan. Thank you so much. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't think Connor. I don't think that as we head into third quarter, that that uh, uh, our logistics and warehousing business will be behind 2019. There's too much demand right now. It it 
and it really just started to come in 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 June. So I would think that uh, the last half of the year will be above 2019. I'd be very surprised, to be honest with you. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Right. Thanks, and Stefan, thank you for that. And then uh, this one recent issue, and when we spoke about um, supply chain, I think uh, the one major issue weighing on a lot of transportation companies and their customers uh, was the BC wildfires, which kind of still continue. It's kind of curious. Some like rails had a pretty uh, a huge backlog of work there in BC, especially between Kamloops and Boston Bar, uh, going to Vancouver. Uh, did you guys see any benefit or any kind of negative impact of those uh, rail supply chain issues at all in July? It just backs everything up. Uh, I'm sitting in Toronto and uh, we have those containers that come in and now those containers are so, you know, the we, we don't uh, have as many backed up lined uh, uh, to come in because they're not coming in at that same steady, steady pace. But that flood is about to come in so when my guys are giving me the update here right now there's they're handling containers coming in but the there's a massive amount of backlog that's going to hit and then that's going to cause a bottle the bottleneck go will go from the ports to the rails to the warehouses to the truck it'll just just it's going to just back up for a while and it appears that there's always something there's always this there's always that so the i said to you the supply chain is very very tight the demand is there but the supply chain is not as efficient as it once was so that creates ebbs and flows and difficult to manage but that's what we have to do and uh but you're right it's backed everything up uh and uh it creates these surges that come in uh, we know that the ports are plugged. We know that Union Pacific put an embargo on freight traffic going into Chicago. Why? Because they couldn't take any shipment. They couldn't take any boxes, intermodal containers. It was plugged. So they just kept it at the port or they kept it on the ships in the port. So uh, it's not just Canada. It's kind of North America wide and maybe even beyond North America right now. Yeah, that, that's great. And then last one for me, Brent, and it over uh, CapEx. Uh, we, we probably did not touch uh, on that lately um, after all the acquisitions. So like, I understand, obviously, there, there's some asset light businesses there that you got. Um, but what about, um, you know, like the CapEx requirements for these acquisitions and, and, and uh, aggregate? Like, where would you see your kind of, you know, this year's budget or, or next year's uh, budget? We'll probably have to wait. But where does CapEx go with these acquisitions? Yeah, typically when we do acquisitions, uh, we would update our CapEx. You know, we had said we came out with a $50 million CapEx plan for this year, X of facilities, X of, you know, of, uh, some, uh, some other things. But same, requiring basically $50 million of sustainable CapEx. Uh, we're actually behind the curve on that because the supply chain is so messed up that we're not actually going to hit the 50 million this year. Everything is pushed out to 2022. So uh, we know that these companies are going to need some CapEx. Our, our CapEx will go up next year. Uh, first blush, let's call it 70 million from 50, uh, but uh, we can't get the product in this year. So uh, our CapEx for this year will probably... If, if we're fortunate, we'll hit 50 million. That means the assets have arrived. 
But, uh, for example, trailers, they're pushed out to late 2022 now. So it doesn't matter if you put the order in. It's it's a long ways off before it comes in. So no increase for this year, uh, not because we, we wouldn't, because we can't get it. And then next year, first blush, we'll update it at the end of the year. But I would say, Steph, $70 million is is a reasonable CapEx expectation going forward. Yeah, agreed. And that's it for me. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, Connor. Our next question comes from Walter Spracklin of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hey, everyone. This is uh, James McGarrigle. I'm on for, for Walter this afternoon. How's everyone doing? Good, James. Great. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I said now I got to tell you. Uh, I got to tell you. You're you're behind because Walter's always first. So I'm going to talk <laughs> with Walter. So you're. You know, you're already starting behind. I was waiting for your call, James. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I had a question on the uh, the M&A and some of the uh, recent Canadian acquisitions. Is there anything to highlight uh, kind of in the, the first few months of working with any of these businesses, and specifically around uh, using your technology or any organic opportunities that you, you might not have seen initially when you, uh, when you acquired the businesses? And then uh, looking at the U.S. Uh, acquisition of Quad Express in a similar vein, any of the uh, information that, that you've got by using their, their technology that you you know that you think uh, might open up some opportunities in the U.S. looking into 2022? I don't I don't think anything's changed from uh, what we expected when we negotiated the uh, negotiated the deal these deals. What we do know is is that the markets are quite robust right now. Uh, so you know that lends to what Stefan had said that our timing, it appears our timing is pretty good on uh, on those acquisitions. So they'll probably be performed at or above expectations is what I, is what I suspect. So nothing, you know, material there. These were good companies. We got good management teams. I can tell you as I tour the facilities now, finally, uh, is that I'm very impressed even more than when, when I, when we did our virtual due diligence or our actual due diligence now very impressed with the with the teams the workforce the the people all that so i'm really happy with that side um and um so you know so that kind of covers that off in the us uh we got a little bit more work to do there because we we're in a transition of of carving out if you will uh this uh platform of quad express from uh, quad corporate uh, and Quad Graphics uh, has refocused their business uh, away from print to uh, digital to a digital platform. So this this wasn't as a core business to them. So we took it on, but we got to carve it out from them. We got a transition agreement. We're working with them, etc. That'll that's going to be messy for the first quarter. Uh, that's just what what we knew that going in. Uh, but uh, a great solid team. Uh, they're on every issue, and uh, they work with us uh, uh, to streamline and get that transition done as fast as possible. Then what we're going to do is turn our attention towards the growth side, and uh, we're in the right space. I can tell you that. Uh, that's where some. That's where capital's going. That's where uh, everybody from Uber Freight. Everybody's talking about what this a company like Quad does. They're talking about building an app, about building a technology. Guess what? We acquired one. We got a good one. And what we're going to do is just make it better. That's all. 
that's going to be our secret sauce. I appreciate that. That's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from Kevin Chang of CIBC. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, good morning, um, Mullen team. Maybe if I could just t- turn to your your SNI segment. Um, you know, a p- pretty optimistic uh, outlook that you provided in your disclosure. You know, if I look at pre-pandemic uh, and, and just looking at where oil prices are now, um, you know, you're doing, let's call it about $100 million, uh, uh, a quarter in revenue. Do, do you think that's something you could hit in, in the back half of the year, just, just given given what you're seeing today? Or, or, or do you think it's still, you know, still a ways away before we kind of make up, uh, make up the gap from where you're running today versus maybe where you were running, you know, back in 2019? It's going to be interesting, Kevin, on that side, because... Uh... Even though it's it's much stronger, I think the rig count's now up about in Western Canada. Let's call it 150, 160. Uh, that's substantially above 2020. Let's forget about 2020. That's a write-off. But it's much closer to 2021. But not, you know, we're still behind 2021. The I think the big issue that we got to watch and see what happens is there any workers left to go into the oil patch? So there there may be. Uh, there, there may be some limits as to how many rigs can actually go to work. And it's not commodity price. It may be availability of a uh, of skilled workforce. They've all left. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't, it's, it's early stages. Maybe we can attract them back. Maybe the industry can, we're going to have to see what happens in the last half of this year. I can tell you, you either got to attract more people back to the industry uh, or uh, I can tell you, I suspect that uh, uh, prices in the oil patch are going to go up dramatically, uh, even though activity levels may not go up dramatically, because there will be demand for that limited rig, that limited rig moving equipment, that limited uh, service offering that you have. So one of two things has to crack because the commodity prices. I don't know what's going to derail that right now. Natural gas prices are through are exponentially higher than they have been, and and Western Canada is still a natural gas basin. It's not an oil basin. It's an oil sands basin, and it's a natural gas basin. So the key to me is that I watch as natural gas price, not oil price. Um, that's for oil price would be for Suncor and Syncrude and those kind of things, but. You know, the others, like the natural gas players, like a tourmaline and a pay to an oil, that's natural gas. And there's a lot of positive momentum on natural gas right at the moment. So I think it's way more constructive. I talk to our groups now, and, you know, the trend that happened in June continues on uh, and gains momentum. Uh, But we may be bumping up against how much we can really do. It's no different than when I'm touring the, the warehouses. They're full. I can't take much more freight. So all you're going to do is just triage it and manage your uh, – you're just going to price accordingly. But uh, there will be, there'll be no more deals. There's no more cheap mm-hmm. pricing. I don't, know that, that, I don't know if that's going to be – I don't know if we're going to get the top line back. I can't, that For the reasons I just explained, but I'm pretty sure we're going to get the bottom line back. Right. No, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. 
Um, and then just maybe turning to your, your LTL segment, you know, I think historically we've seen LTL in Canada underperform on a yield perspective versus versus the U.S. And, you know, you know, I think people have talked about the U.S. having more industrial exposure. It's, you know, the, the industry is more fragmented in Canada. But, but as, as you kind of sit here today, Murray, you know, the consumer economy is, you know, ripping and roaring. The, it seems like the, the, the market is tighter and, and, and it might be more structural now. You know, do, do you see an opportunity here where, where, where yields in Canada can, can really start to converge on what you're seeing in the U.S. and, 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 and maybe you start outpacing the pricing growth you, you may be, we may be seeing from, from some of the U.S. LTL carriers? Um, I can tell you we got pockets. We've got some of our business units that have uh, that are in the LTL business that uh, have um, margins the same as uh, the best in class U.S. I said certain mar- certain parts of our business. That's not universal yet, but uh, that's my expectation. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, the LTL business is uh, is you know, it's a it's a good it's a great business to be in. We're, I'm happy to report we go on one of the largest platforms of LTL in Canada, and uh, you know we're gonna uh, we're gonna make sure that we continue to drive towards uh, margin improvement. Some of it's yield management. Some of it's uh, you know we're, our facilities are full now. So I said we're just gonna triage the freight and customers. You have to pay more because I've got a pay more for people and those kind of things. So we're, we're going to drive towards continued margin improvement in our LTL business. It's that's that's what we're going to strive towards. And part of that's just running a better business. Part of it's uh, pricing and part of it is yield management by uh, uh, the, the mix of freight. So we will be aggressively pursuing higher margin freight. Yes. That's uh, that's helpful. Thanks for the call, and that's it for me. Congrats on a good quarter. Thank you so much. Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then 1. Our next question comes from Elias Foskolas of IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Good morning, Elias. Good morning, Murray, and uh, good morning to all the team. Uh, I've got a, a few questions. First of all, Murray, I want to thank you for your, your macro view, and Stefan, thanks for the, the granular uh, commentary. They, they were both uh, helpful as we were scratching our heads on uh, run rate revenue numbers from acquisition. Uh, Murray, uh, I'm going to focus a bit on acquisitions. Uh, historically, you've made equity investments in companies. Uh, you know, a couple highlights I can think of, PCX, uh, Involve, uh, and you also talked last year about making some acquisitions into Canadian companies. I'm wondering, because that's been the seeds of, of some growth in the past, uh, is that a strategy that you're going to continue or just hasn't shown up or uh, things along that line? Um, yeah, we'll probably continue it. And, and why have we bought uh, made, uh, minor- made in minority investments? in certain companies. Well, it's because the whole company wasn't available, but I still like the company. So then, you know, we wait until the whole company is available. Uh, so we'll, we'll look at some minority interests, but the market has changed so dramatically and there's so many acquisition opportunities now that, uh, you know, 
um, you know, we'll we'll just have to pivot, I think, a little bit on that and, uh, and uh, you know, focus on where we think we can get the biggest bang for our shareholders, I think, really now in the short term. The longer term play that I've got that I'm focused on now is the U.S. market, because I think longer term, we have to be there for our shareholders and for our company. We need another growth platform uh, outside of the Canadian marketplace. The Canadian marketplace is going to be good. But eventually, it's not going to be a growth platform, and we needed to have another opportunity to grow. So we planted some trees down there now, and we'll get bigger down there over time. Uh, that's our plan. And uh, But in Canada, we'll continue probably, Elias, just doing tuck-ins because that's where we can get uh, good workforce. That's where we can get – because you can't put an ad in the paper and get a workforce today, folks. It doesn't work that way. Uh, we'll get a good workforce. Um, and then what we'll do is we'll um, we'll just make sure that we look after our highest paying customers um, that pay us the most, and that's where we're going to get margin improvement. The more we can give them, make sure that our employees are paid properly. So we're we're going to focus on that side. I don't know about more platform, as I said, about more platform uh, acquisition and growth opportunities. I you know I just don't know if the investment community is. They certainly don't appear to be rewarding us for us. So uh, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna go and harvest and make as much money as we can and run a great business and pay our people more money and we'll make more money for shareholders. That's what we're gonna do. Okay, I uh, appreciate that. Um, uh, maybe a question that might be more directed to Stefan. Um, and, and again, thanks very much for the granularity on where your uh, debt to to EBITDA call it that ratio, um, would, would be um, uh, pro forma acquisitions. It seems to me you have room for more uh, debt, and specifically I'm thinking of private placement debt. Um, number one, do you have room? Are you looking at that? And two, what level would you feel comfortable, um, given that the business is quite a bit different today than when you wrote the covenants in, in 2014? Yeah, and I think we look at all alternatives. We look at, uh, you know, whether we, we get something with a, a syndicated bank line or something more structured rather than a, just a demand facility, although the demand facility for us has been pretty good. And I say that because we're we're notoriously cheap and we don't like paying uh, fees and standby fees and, and all these sorts of things. And, and quite frankly, uh, you know, RBC has been very good to us, giving us a demand facility without fees, knowing that we never really stretch out our debt. And when we did the debt, or historically, uh, you know, earlier in, in, uh, in 2014 and such, we were really an oil field services company with a lot of beta in our numbers. We've really gotten rid of a lot of that beta. So when you think about how much we're tied to the drill bit, it's not as much as we were a decade ago. So then we were comfortable with getting or having leverage of about two to two and a half times. I remember going to New York and seeing, talking to those folks and saying, I want to be two and a quarter times. We might expand that at times if we see a really good acquisition and we feel comfortable. But I don't think that philosophy has really changed, although the company has changed. The debate is, is not there. The Earnings are a lot more stable. The consumer, uh, the largest part of the Canadian or North American economy, is stable. So we could, in theory, you know, increase our debt leverage and feel still very comfortable. 
Um, but that's just not us. That's not our nature. We're not really, uh, you know, high leverage stock promoting guys. We're more conservative, thoughtful, and we do these very deliberately and uh, we don't stretch out and, and go to four times like some other trucking competitors may do. Although I would tell you going to four times is not unusual in our within our peers set would would feel comfortable doing that within North America. So um, long answer to tell you that we're very comfortable where we're at. Are we going to do the next round of acquisitions or next round of growth? Is it going to be private placement debt? Perhaps is it going to be uh, you know, bank debt, perhaps. I think what's out of market right now, and if it, you just have to look at the cost of borrowing, uh, equity, doing another round for equity uh, right now with the yield and the way that uh, uh, the share price is currently, it just isn't very attractive to us. And I know every shareholder, every CEO thinks their shares are undervalued. But uh, again, we really feel that in evidence by our share buyback that we continue to do and invest back into a pretty uh, premier great company in Canada. So uh, long story short, uh, when we buy EBITDA, we can get up a little bit more debt. We bought a lot of EBITDA here uh, in the last uh, quarter, and uh, we've reduced our uh, our leverage. So because we're, although we're buying it five times, uh, you know, it's, it's just the way that the whole momentum and the synergies and everything works that we're coming out of this virtually at the same uh, debt leverage as we came into it uh, into the quarter and uh, we're going to exit the year as you see the annualization as you see these acquisitions start coming into that formal calculation uh, that it'll be reduced and so um, I don't know what to tell you Elias other than we're comfortable where it is more than comfortable from where it is and the next financing round is, is yet to be determined but we have lots of opportunities out there to do all of the above private placement, debt, equity, converts. The money will be there. We have a great track record of finding good acquisitions and exceeding that cost of capital materially. So, Let, let me take that and simplify it even more. Uh, we're not issuing out equity at these levels. Forget it. I mean, all our shareholders forget that. Number two is, do we want to put on more debt? Yeah, we'll put on more debt. Uh, we'll put on more debt to acquire really, really good companies that are strategic fits. Um, but if we didn't do anything, I can tell you with the cash flow we generate, we'll have no bank debt next year. So we're going to, we're generating a lot of cash and then we'll just figure out whether we're going to continue to do tuck ins and grow or whether we're going to, uh, once we pay off the debt, whether we're going to, uh, what we do next, uh, for the shareholders. But, uh, it really, I think a lot depends on the opportunity coming in, but, uh, new equity, and uh, the debt, and the other thing about our debt, we've acquired a lot of great real estate over the since we did this long-term debt. So um, we feel pretty good about the position that we're at that we're, that we're in with that. To be honest with you, so. But for now, appreciate that, Murray. For now, uh, we're coming up for air after doing five uh, acquisitions, and we'll look at uh, at tuck-ins where we can amalgamate things into these uh, 36. I think we got 36 business units now. And, you know, I've been so busy, I've maybe lost track here. But um, we've we got a lot of great management teams out there that can we can do tuck-ins of those 36. Will we have 37? Don't know about that, that, about that side. Okay. And it's a small um, market. 
it's a strong market. You, if you do acquisitions now, you're kind of looking at you're getting a good workforce. And then you're just, truthfully, you're just allocating the workforce to where you, you know, because you need it and you've got higher margin business over here, you don't want to turn down. Okay. I, I, I have more questions, but maybe I'll leave it with, with, with one. Um, Murray, you mentioned $2 billion of revenue. If, if I do some very simple math, because that's probably all I'm capable of, I can see you reaching that number within two to four years. Would would you? Yeah, we would originally set out, you know, when we talked about that, well, you know, in the next five to 10 years, we can get up to $2 billion. We'll acquire all the great companies that we want in Canada. You know, and uh, we'll continue to do that. And, uh, well, heck, I didn't know we were going to get all all of them done here and so fast. But the market changed. We moved quickly. We were well positioned. We had the money. Uh, and uh, we got a great reputation of doing acquisitions. So uh, we'll continue to do some, some more acquisitions in Canada, but be, be selective. Uh, but we had to enter the U.S. market so that we had another growth platform for our shareholders. And... Uh, that one will emerge and it'll evolve, but we're in that market now, and uh, I'm kind of excited about it. Sorry, I have to make a follow-up with that, Murray, with the U.S. It, 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 on top of revenue, do you think the U.S. is, is actually a multiple, is, is a multiple factor too? Multiple of... In, in other words, you know, I look at Mullen in 2014, Mullen today, more stable business, and yet the multiple's a lot lower. Would yeah, you get a better I, multiple for having yeah, some asset I, in the I, U.S.? You know what? I, I, Elias, you're gonna, I'm going to defer this over to you to go talk to the shareholders and, and, and those kind of things. Um, there's... I, I've given up trying to figure out what Mr. and Mrs. Market are thinking. Uh, all I can report to everybody is what we've done, how we positioned the company, and what we have. And on those three fonts, uh, we check a lot of boxes. Number four is I'll leave it to the shareholders to figure out how they want to value us. But meanwhile, we're just going to run a great business. We've got a great team, and we've got great operating teams uh, that know what the heck they're doing. And uh, so that gives us a great chance of continue to build on a great company. Appreciate the color. Uh, thanks very much. Thank you. This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Mullen for any closing remarks. Uh, no closing remarks, folks. Uh, thank you very much. Um, everybody's busy. Uh, it's a little over an hour here that we've been on the line. I appreciate everything. And we look forward to chatting with you and giving an update on uh, in October. Um, so thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Take care. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.